Wonderful. Welcome, welcome. Well, I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me in church. When I was about 24 years old, I was living in Washington, D.C., a really big city, and I had just moved there, and I didn't know many people, and I didn't have a church that I was going to. But something happened in my life that made me really sad. And so I decided on that Sunday morning I needed to go to church and just be with God in church and be with people in church. So I sat way in the back row. I didn't really want anybody to see me. But as this, we started singing a hymn, I started crying because I was sad about something. And at first I was kind of embarrassed that I was crying and I didn't want anybody to see me. But there was a sweet lady sitting a little bit further down the row from me. And she just scooted over, got close to me, and just handed me a Kleenex. And after the service, I said, I'm so sorry, I was crying in church. And she said, you should never be sorry for crying in church. If you can't cry in church, where else can you cry? What better place to cry and be sad than in church with God's people and with God. That's one of the things I love about being part of a church family. We can be sad, we can be happy, we can be angry, we can be exactly who we are and know that we're welcomed and loved. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for the church, which we know is not a building, but is a group of people. Thank you for loving people who will accept us just as we are. Help us remember that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to always be happy. We just have to be who we are. And your church will love us and you will love us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. If you are three years old or four years old or five years old, you can go with Pastor Nancy to Children's Church. And there's Miss Emily, too. She's going to help out this morning. And if you are not three to five, you can return to your seats with your families or friends. So Rob Bigelow and I were talking a little bit before the service about this passage of James and how part of it is a little troubling. If you worshiped with us last week, you heard a sermon about the first part of James and maybe you got the impression, which would be an accurate impression, that I love the book of James. I absolutely love this little letter. It is so plain spoken and so direct and so clear about what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, James says these wonderful things like, it all boils down to this, help widows and orphans in their distress. If you see someone who's hungry, feed them. Love your neighbor as yourself. There are other parts of James that we haven't heard in worship where he talks about, watch what you say. The words that come out of your mouth can do a lot of harm, so be careful what you say. And he just gives these beautiful instructions all through his letter, and I find myself saying, yes, oh, that's good. I'm going to write that down. I love that. That's, a, that's something I want to chew on and live with. And then 
we get to this passage right at the end of the letter. And there's this one verse that I really bumped up against this week. We bumped up against it in Bible study on Tuesday morning and spent some time wrestling with it. Maybe you heard it. The prayer of faith will save the sick. What does James mean by that? I'm not so sure I'm on board with James when it comes to this verse. Is James saying that, that if you have enough faith, if you just pray hard enough, then your sickness will go away? That you'll be cured of your diseases or your suffering will go away if only you have enough faith and pray hard enough? If that's what James means, I'm not sure I'm on board with that. I have seen too many people hurt and harmed by this very idea. I have seen how people who are sick or who have a child who is sick or a loved one have been told, well, you're just not praying hard enough or obviously you don't have enough faith. And I just don't think that comes from the compassionate heart of God. And I've lived long enough to see people who, who walked through illness and walked through death with deep and abiding faith. Now, to be fair, James and his communities at the time believed that Jesus was coming back any day. So maybe that shapes a little bit of what he teaches. But the truth is, for us in the 21st century, unless Jesus comes back in the next 100 years or so, all of us in this room and all of us worshiping online at some point in the next 100 years are probably going to die. And most of us will die by natural causes, by some illness or another. And most of us worshiping together right now are dealing with some chronic illness or condition or pain or suffering in some way. And I just don't believe that's because of a lack of faith or a failure to pray. So when we bump into a verse like this, how do we dig more deeply into it and, and interpret it? Well, some of the tools that I've learned over the years come in handy in a moment like this. One tool is to look at the context, to look at this verse and where it falls in James's letter and if there are other things he says in this letter that might shed some light on this verse. And luckily for us, there's a passage in this particular text we've heard this morning that I think sheds some light on this verse. James begins this text that we heard by saying, be patient in suffering. He seems to acknowledge that suffering happens. It's part of life. And it's not because people deserve it. It's not because they've done something to bring it on themselves. It just happens. He mentions Job and the prophets. And if we read the book of Job, we see that things happen to Job. He loses members of his family. He gets sick. All of these things happen to him, even though he was a righteous man with a deep faith in God. And the whole book of Job is a prayer of Job having a conversation with God. And if we look at the prophets, so many of them suffered because they were faithful because they spoke the truth of God to people in power or to people who didn't want to hear what they had to say. So that says to me that James understood that, that suffering and illness and struggle are 
part of life. And we need to walk through that time of life with faith and with patience and endurance, trusting that God is with us. So for me, that sheds a little light on this verse. Another tool that we have in the box is to do a little word study, to dive a little more deeply into to one of the words of this verse. And the one that draws my attention is the word save. The prayer of faith will save the sick. What does James mean by that? Well, different English translations of the Bible use different words. will cure, will heal, will rescue, will save. The Greek word is the word sozo, which means all of those things. It's a word that shows up again and again and again in the Gospels. In Jesus' ministry, he is constantly sozoing people, healing people, saving people. But it looks different in different episodes. When Jesus sees the paralyzed man who comes before him, he says, your sins are forgiven. So there's something about this saving and healing that, that might involve forgiveness. When the ten lepers are healed, Jesus sends them to the priests and says, go show yourselves to the priests. Jesus knew that because of their illness, they had been excluded from the faith community. They had been isolated and outcast. And so part of their healing was not just the return of, of the wholeness of their skin, but the return to the worshiping community, inclusion again in the life of the community, reconciling of relationships. When Jesus healed people, it was more than just a cure. It was a return to wholeness, reconciliation, forgiveness. Sometimes our experiences of healing do not necessarily involve a cure, but they might involve something even deeper and more eternal than that. I've experienced that in my own life. As I've shared with you a few times over the years, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when she was 70 years old. She lived another 11 years. And I don't think that that disease attacked her brain because she lacked faith. And I don't think it was the disease of Alzheimer's that ultimately ended her life because we as her family were not praying hard enough. I believe she developed the disease of Alzheimer's in her brain because that is what happened in this world that we live in. She was never cured of that disease. But I cannot tell you how much healing and faith and wholeness and grace came out of that journey with her. Don't get me wrong, there was terrible grief and many tears shed on that journey. But there was also this amazing reconciliation that happened between her and my father in their marriage. There was a coming together of all of us siblings to, to take turns in caring for her and doing what we could to support her and to, to support our dad and each other on that journey. There was a deeper understanding I received about what it means to love. 
when you're called to love someone who cannot respond in turn, who doesn't even know you're in the room, it taught me something about the way God loves us. And then those times when I would go in her room and there'd be a vase of flowers from her church. Ten years after she'd been in a nursing home, still saying, we love you, we're praying for you, you are still part of us. So no, she was never cured of her disease, but she went through the threshold of death into eternal life, whole and held by the love and compassion of God and God's people. So I think this verse in James is a doorway into a deeper understanding of healing. And one of the things that James does in this text is to invite the people of God to create a community of trust where we bring to one another in God's presence our sickness, our suffering, our joys and celebrations. We confess our sins to one another. We create a family where it is welcome to be broken and hurting. And we join our prayers together for healing, whatever that looks like. One of the ancient practices of the church back in James' day has continued throughout the centuries when it comes to prayer for healing, and that is the anointing with oil. So if you're in the sanctuary this morning, you've had an opportunity to pick up one of these little files of oil. And if you're at home and would like to have some oil on hand, invite you to do that. What I'd like to invite you to do, whether here in the sanctuary or at home, is to take these next few moments to offer to God whatever is on your heart this day. Some of you are struggling with an illness, chronic pain, grief, a broken relationship. Bring that to God. Some of you might want to pray on behalf of someone else in your life who is hurting or struggling or sick in body, mind, or spirit. Some of you may want to be in prayer for the people of Afghanistan or Haiti or New Orleans or Humphreys County. Or you might just want to lift up to God the brokenness of our world. We might all be praying different prayers in these next few moments, but we are praying together. And James assures us that the prayers of faith are something God works with to save and heal the world. So let us pray together.